Happy Christmas Eve. I don't, I don't know what you say to that. Wait. Let's just do Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There we go. That's easier. We know what to say to that. Let's pray. So, Father, indeed, uh, your child, Mary, what a, what a remarkable young lady. And so we, we celebrate your son and those who would be obedient in his life such that he would receive the glory he is due. So this Christmas, our eyes are set on you, Jesus. We long to know you better. We long to celebrate you in full. So bless us as our minds and hearts go back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, just before we get started with this, I have a couple of questions. Um, what is more of a statement, I guess? So the winter solstice just went by, right? And that means the days are getting... Longer! <laughs> right. So glad I asked that question. Um, so the days are getting longer. And in fact, um, on the 21st was the shortest day of the year. We had nine hours, 21 minutes, and eight seconds of light. Nine hours, 21 minutes. Tomorrow, you will have nine hours, 21 minutes, and 28 seconds of light. So I'm wondering what you're going to do with those extra 20 seconds of daylight. Thankfully, it picks up speed toward March, and you'll get a little bit more daylight. But I just wanted you to know there's a little Christmas present coming for you, 20 extra seconds of daylight. And I have one other question. Uh, all those in favor of fruitcake say aye. All those opposed to fruitcake? Yeah, okay. I thought so. I, I, it probably depends on the fruitcake and the grandma, probably, right? So it just depends. All right, I just wanted to clear that up, because it is Christmas. There's some important things. And then tonight, of course, as Phil was saying, we will have a visitor. He looks a little bit like this uh, in his old age, or not like that. Well, there he is. Yeah, whoa, whoa, it's a very quick visit with... <laughs> He's only here for a second, so you want to get here early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's quite a guy. He is. So We'll leave this back one down. We've got a couple more slides before. So that's, uh, that's this evening, and he does have some fun things, and we've got some worship songs to sing, and of course, Silent Night. And so if you do have, uh, have the evening open, it would be love, lovely to see you again this evening. So be, we are running out of 2023. I don't know if you noticed. You need to start practicing 2024 uh, because that's coming. And our Advent season is, of course, running to a close. We've got our four Advent candles lit. We have yet to light the Christ candle, and we'll light that tonight at 5.30. We've been going through the Advent season. Our theme has been, what child is this? And it's actually kind of a cool question. Uh, we sing it kind of glibly, as though the question kind of just kind of runs off our shoulders. But it's actually a pretty good question. What child is this? What child is this to the world? What child is this to God? What child is this to you? It's a great question. And so, and so we've been looking at it, and then we've been trying to, I don't know, answer the question uh, through the eyes of various eyewitnesses over the course of that beautiful Advent story. And so one of the, uh, one of the eyewitnesses was the angels, right? The angels were there that night. 
And uh, so the children helped us by helping us understand that they saw Christ coming as the incarnate Word of God. They were, you know, there on the inside. And so they got to see Christ, I guess, somehow leave the Godhead and enter the world. I'm not sure how the celestials viewed all that, but they saw the incarnate Word of God. Three weeks ago, we looked at the Magi who were coming out. And they had seen the star in the west, and they came out looking for a king. While the angels saw the incarnate word of God, the Magi were looking for a king and came out and indeed find the king and worshipped him and gave him gifts. The shepherds last week were told by the angels that on this night in the city of David would be born for you a savior. And so, and so their perspective was shaped by that announcement and such that they saw a Savior being born. Well, uh, this morning we're going to take a look, this beautiful song, Mary's song. And as I, I was uh, singing that, and I was hearing, um, uh, uh, Kim, not to take anything away from you, but I was hearing Amy Grant's voice, you know, from 31 years ago. What's wrong with that? And, uh, and so uh, this beautiful child, uh, Mary, uh, sees the baby in her own way. She has a conversation with an angel. And, uh, and so we want to unpack that because she sees this child, according to the angel, as the son of God. So each of these witnesses, eyewitnesses, has a little bit of a different angle, a different perspective on this child that is being born. They might answer that question just a little bit differently. So... Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at Mary's story. And let me just um, uh, put, put it in context. We're in, if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 1. It's pretty easy to find. Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. And it's the very first chapter. So it might help you to put your eyes on it. We're not actually going to stop. And, and I'm not going to have you stand as I read this morning because I want to teach through the reading. And, uh, but in Luke chapter 1, if your eyes are there, you'll see that beginning in verse 5, Luke actually starts with kind of a, a prequel, a story before the story, where Elizabeth is uh, found to be with child. There's a whole 20, 20 verses dedicated to the story of the birth of a child who is to be named John. Zachariah and Elizabeth have not been able to have a child. Um, she's sad. She feels condemned. She's, um, later we'll read, uh, that she's been um, identified as barren. And that, of course, is a stigma, a terrible stigma, kind of any time. But in the 21st century, it's just hard, right? If that's your hope, it's just so terribly hard. And, um, and God uh, says he's going to answer her prayer and bless her, and um, he is to be named John. Remember, there's quite a bit of a story with that. So when we begin the story of Jesus, uh, it actually kind of looks back at the story of Elizabeth a little bit because their stories are tied together in this uh, Advent moment. So in verse 26, when we start reading kind of the Mary story, it says, in the sixth month, okay, now that that's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
Okay, so it says that in the verses preceding that, it says that Elizabeth got pregnant and then she kept herself quiet for five months. And I feel like there's a fair number of ladies who kind of keep this to themselves through the first trimester or a little bit further because uh, things happen. And so you don't want to create a big stir until you know that the baby's a little bit better formed. And so Mary apparently is keeping these things to herself. It's a bit of a mystery anyway. And so for five months, she stays to herself. And then it says in the sixth month, and that would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So all that's being told to help us put things in perspective and the comprehensive story of the family and all that's going on. So uh, from God to a city of Galilee, and Galilee is in the north part of Israel, uh, the northernmost part, north of the Sea of Galilee a little bit, uh, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And so betrothed is a little different in the first century than it is here. Um, uh, I'm thinking of a Barbara Streisand movie where she's being partnered up with people. She's got, uh, no, it's uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof, where you've got the matchmaker, right? So the matchmakers set up marriages, and these are set up long ahead of time, and and uh, a man and a woman would become betrothed even at the ages of 12 or 13 or 14 years old. They just wouldn't be actually married until later. But they would be set aside for each other as though they were a married couple very early. So Mary is betrothed, and in a way, uh, at that point, uh, as, as Joseph is uh, ready, he begins to build his house and get ready to bring his bride to his home, the analogies that, that Jesus tells of the, of the bridal party and the, the groom bringing the, bridal, the bride home to his home, that was all very first century bridal custom. And so um, she is his betrothed. In a way, they are married. It's all a done deal. They just haven't been together yet. They haven't been married, but they're together. So they are betrothed of the house of David, and uh, Joseph was of the house of David. You can read the genealogies. Mary, in the Matthew account, many believe that that Matthew account of genealogy is Mary's account of her lineage that shows her lineage through the line of David. Uh, Prophecy, in order to uh, satisfy the Messiah, have to come from the line of David. And so uh, Scripture is careful to show that both Mary and Joseph are from the line of David, and they live in Nazareth with their extended family. And so, uh, um, most like, so in this case, uh, Mary's dad, Joseph's dad, would also be in the lineage of David as well, right? We've got a lineage. The virgin's name was Mary, we read, and in verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. You can translate that either troubled or afraid, even terrified. Okay, She's pretty undone. We don't often um, have angels, even when they're saying nice things. Um, it's scary, apparently. Uh, the angel breaks in. 
And so she's troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. And that's the second time that he's used the word, the angel Gabriel has used the word favored. And favored is an interesting word because almost everywhere else in the New Testament, this word is translated grace. Grace. So when he says favor, in our minds we can also translate it uh, unmerited favor. Grace. I'm going to give you something you really don't deserve, but I am going to shower the favor upon you. So he says it twice. And this angel, Gabriel, is an archangel. He's one of, depending on your theology, two or three of the most significant angels. Uh, Gabriel and Michael are the archangels that guard uh, Israel, according to Scripture. And so Gabriel uh, once visited Daniel some 700 years before this and spoke to him. So this guy, Gabriel, he gets the big assignments. He gets all the big jobs. So he comes to talk to Mary, and he says uh, in verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace, with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Um, we, would, we would know that as Joshua. Jesus, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, Mary would have been no slouch when it came to the scriptures. And so when Gabriel defined who this baby would be, it would have been crystal clear in her mind that Gabriel is talking about the long-awaited Messiah. This is clear in her mind. And so, in short order, I mean, it's like the front end of the conversation. Mary, you're going to have a child. It's going to be the Messiah. Ah! I'm thinking that's a, a little unsettling. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And uh, Mary, I love this about her. She's, she's believing. She has some questions. Mary uh, said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And this young lady and all of, you know, we, we like to make fun of the first century as though they don't know things. They know things. They know stuff. They know how things work. And uh, Mary's a young woman, and she knows how things work. She knows, she's been to Biology 101, and so she, she, she knows this. How will this be since I am a virgin? I have not known a man. So scripture likes to use that language in terms of intimacy as knowing. I have not known a man. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore... The child born will be called holy, the son of God. So there's the title, right? There's how Mary knows who this is because the angel just told her, this is the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, now we go foreshadow or whatever that is. We're, we're going to put this back in context again. Your mother, your, excuse me, your cousin Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
So uh, the angel is being kind to Mary. The angel says, you're going to have a child and it's going to be from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you in power and you will become pregnant with God, hence the Son of God. To which Mary is going, really? And so the angel says, you know what? Let me give you a sign. Let me give you kind of a proof place to put this in. Because your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, is with child. She lives elsewhere. So Mary may or may not know anything about that. Probably doesn't. And so the angel is breaking this news to her because you remember Elizabeth was keeping it to herself. So the news wasn't getting out. So he's helping her see that God is at work in so many places to prepare a way for the coming of this king, this son of God. So he says, there's going to be a sign. When you go visit Elizabeth, she's going to be with child. It's going to increase your faith because I told you ahead of time. God likes to do that. He likes to increase our faith. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 37. So today, if you want to memorize a verse, this would be a good one. Uh, Luke 1, 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. Done. Christmas present. And Mary said, her shining moment that I'll talk about in a minute. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Servant is the same word as slave. I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be me, uh, to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So at this time of the year, uh, we are singing uh, the praises of Mary. We are imagining what her life was like, like this moment was like. We are uh, kind of incredulous and overwhelmed a little bit with the idea that this was, as historians and academicians tell us, probably a, a youngish girl, uh, 13 to 16 years old. Um, by this time, she's uh, an adult. She's been through her bat mis- misfa, and so she's uh, a young woman. Uh, but uh, 13-year-olds in my book are still pretty young women. And so... Um, She's hearing all this, responding in great faith. She's hearing the scriptures of her childhood that have been taught to her. And um, so now I want to kind of bust a bubble a little bit. I'm sorry to do this a little bit. But a, a lot of Nazareth would have been of the lineage of David. Right, Mom and dad probably lived there. They, they, they lived in family community. So when there was this edict to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they would have gone together. They would have all gone together. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, cousins, everybody, because it's dangerous to travel alone. And so you would have gone with your entire family. And so that means that mom probably, unless they were deceased, Mary's mom and dad, any siblings, would have come with her on the voyage. Joseph's dad, for sure, was the house of David. Joseph and his mom and dad and every, all the other people would have come with them. And so they would have traveled together. The beautiful image that you have, like this, 
is probably not it. Sorry. Uh, it's probably more like this. They were all sort of just traveling together and, and uh, go, back, go back one for me. Just because. So if, if you want it to be like this, you can. If this makes you happier and it's more sentimental and they went all by themselves and no one was there to help them, just remember, none of that's in Scripture and much of that isn't in history. In fact, there's no donkey in the story. So, I know, I'm just ruining things for you. Uh, that doesn't mean there wasn't a donkey. There probably was, but it's just, you, you know, dig around, try and find it. Well, it was like this. Yeah, that's a picture. And so, and so be careful how how your uh, culture has informed you when you start to read through Scripture and imagine the way it might have been. And so, all right, let's go back to uh, uh, our account. She's a young woman. She's uh, thinking that the rest of her life is going to be lived in this kind of backwater town where nothing good comes from. And uh, she's kind of okay with that. She's going to be around her mom and dad. And by the way, if her mom and dad travel with her, even if she's kind of scandalously pregnant, I'm kind of figuring her mom's there, helping her. Her mom wouldn't just go, oh, you're scandalously pregnant. I'm not going to be with you. She wouldn't be able to be with the rest of her family because she would be with child and having a baby, and so there's going to be blood, and so you have to be separated from the rest of the people so that they aren't made unclean. And so there's stuff going on. She's probably not quite as alone as the dramatics make it. Just saying. There, there's a, a rendering by, I mean, this is an inspiring moment. So let's look at one more, well, a couple more pictures. Uh, art history class this morning. Uh, let's move on to one by um, Leonardo da Vinci. He, uh, a, a little hard to see here, but he has Mary um, being visited by Gabriel. This is in 1420. And Mary's, you know, she's sitting at her table. She's doing some reading. She's already got a halo. So that's nice. We can identify her in that way. And the angel is bowing to Mary and, um, and doing the peace sign. And, and, so, and so this is kind of, whenever you see Mary, when you look this up, you'll see her with a book because... In 1420, if you had a book, or in the medieval arts, if you had a book, that meant you were studious. You were privileged. If you had a book, you were somebody. This was before the printing press. So if you had a book, that probably means uh, that you were prayerful and studious and special. So in medieval art, anytime you see Mary, it would be uh, Mary and her book. Not Mary and the little lamb. It would be Mary and a little book. And... And that's how you will see her in 1898, uh, an American by the name of Tanner uh, painted it this way, where Mary is alone in her bedroom. And we don't know that it was in a garden. We don't know that she was at her well, though you can go to Mary's well today and see her well in Israel, where ostensibly she was greeted by the angel. I, I wanted to give you a, a little bigger picture of her face. Um, she looks just a little bit unsure right here, like, uh, not sure I'm hearing you right. Go, go through that part again about how the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me and I'm going to have a child. Let's do that again. And I kind of like, 
that sense. And it makes me ask the question, well, when, when did she become pregnant? Did she become pregnant? Did, did the Lord sort of put her to sleep? I kind of feel that way, kind of, why don't you just take a nap and we'll, the Spirit will come upon you. You will become pregnant with, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Scripture says. And the reason I think that is because uh, the next verse says, um, uh, you will conceive, let's see, I'm jumping ahead in my notes, but she's, she's going to go visit Elizabeth right away. And when she sees Elizabeth, um, Elizabeth's baby jumps in her womb. John the Baptist, who is now six months old, in utero, in her tummy, bounces in there. Whoa! And that's at seeing Mary, and I think celebrating Mary's child that is growing within her. Somehow these two have connected in some mysterious supernatural way because they are connected in some mysterious supernatural way. John the Baptist, his cousin, and Jesus. And so all of this going, is going on. Gabriel says, don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Favor with God. Now that's an interesting phrase because God said to Moses, uh, actually before that, Noah, uh, you have found favor. You get to build an ark. Great. Moses, you have found favor. You get to lead all your people out of Egypt. Great. Moses was a little bit more forthright. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be favored. Thank you very much. Y'all go and find somebody else. I can't talk. I'm not smart. I'm old. I don't really want. I'd rather stay here in the wilderness with my sheep. Thank you very much. I don't want to do that. And so uh, just because you're favored doesn't mean it's going to be great. Um, it might be, in fact, probably is hard. His favor doesn't mean his ease. It means that his grace is full upon you. And that he has very, very important business for you. So, I like all of that. Uh, Mary didn't really want to be favored. In uh, Luke 31, it says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. I still, I'm still trying to put myself in, in Mary's shoes, so to speak, with hearing that and hearing all that she knows about her cultural context of the Messiah and what that means. And I can't imagine that she's not saying to herself, I wonder what that means to me. Okay, I know what you're going to do for my child, but what does that mean to me? I, I was just going to get married to Joseph. We were, we were just going to live in Nazareth. I, I didn't really have much other plans, but those were my plans. Gabriel, it feels like what you're telling me is all the plans that I had aren't my plans. They're at least not my reality. That's how I thought it was going to be. You're telling me it's going to be very different. I'm going to, with Joseph, raise the Son of God? I'm going to raise the Messiah? 
So, Gabriel gives her a sign. And I want to jump down to uh, Luke one thirty-eight, all the way down there, where Luke records Mary in her shining moment. You, you remember, she was believing but confused earlier when she said, how can this be? I am just a girl and I've not ever known a man. She's confused. She's not necessarily doubting. She's believing, but she's going, ah, how can this be? Look, at, look how it's changed in the little bit of time that she and the angel have been talking. Since that moment when she said, wait a minute, I don't think I know how that can happen. To God, to the angel explaining it, how she will find favor and how there's a sign. And then she says in verse 38, I am the servant. I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be according to me, according to your word. So, she's now, she's now given in, so to speak, to the new agenda. As best she knows how, she has given in to her Lord and Savior through this word of the angel. Sometimes when I'm sharing with teenagers, sometimes when I'm sharing with old people, I will say to them in the presentation of the gospel that God has found a way for you and I to be at peace with God. The world is at enmity with God. Most of us are fighting back. We want our own kingdom. We don't want to yield to his kingdom. And so there's a penalty for that. There's a penalty of, of hardship and death. And when God breaks into our world, as he did at Advent and Christmas time, he's saying, I can help you with that desperate place that you're in. By my son's blood, you can believe and receive my grace, your unmerited favor. You can receive grace and be forgiven, and live with me eternally. It's kind of the gospel in short form. And I'll sometimes say to those in front of me, you don't have to know everything right now. You don't have to have everything laid out for you. You have to know that much laid out. And to be able to say, I, really, I don't really know very much and so I'll sometimes invite people to, to, to pray a prayer, something like, Lord, as much as I understand, I give that to you. As far as my faith goes, I give that to you. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died and rose again to pray a way for all of humanity to come back and be with God. I don't understand it. I can't even wrap my head around it. But as much as I can believe that, I believe. And you know what? The Lord says, great. That's all I'm asking for. That's what Mary does. I, I don't even start to get this. I have no idea. I can barely remember the words that you just spoke to me, Gabriel. But I am the servant. I am the slave of the Most High. I know that. And so I yield. I give in. So I love how the, the gospel 
is being revealed even in Mary in this early stage of the gospel. Even before Christ is born, we're beginning to see how God works in the lives of humanity. And then there's this moment. I hope you've got your Bibles open. This is one more chance to open your Bible. Because in Luke chapter 1, we read some of the finest poetry, not only in Scripture, but in literature, as Mary's what's called the Magnificat is unpacked for us. Is Her words are recorded, and it is one of the grandest. It, it loses so much translating it from the Hebrew, from the Aramaic, from the Greek into our language, but it is this magnificent prayer, confession, acknowledgement. It is magnificent. And uh, let's read this. Let me just uh, read it to you. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. Remember all that has just happened. She is on the edge of a promise. None of it has been fulfilled as fully as she knows yet. I magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. His holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation to generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. It says that Mary then went to Elizabeth and stayed with her for three months. And it was there that this magnificent poem was crafted in the shadow of Elizabeth's miracle. So there's an interesting thing that happens in this Magnificat. For the first couple verses, Mary recognizes the blessing that's been bestowed upon her. She is the center of attention for the first couple verses. Let me just look at that with you. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Who's she talking about? Me. Mary's talking about me. You have looked at the humble estate of of his servant behold now on all generations will call me blessed so I, I think I can look into her mind and attitude she's not getting all proud and haughty here she's just recognizing the, the weight, the marvel the, the majesty of the moment that the Messiah is going to come through her as a blessing to all people For generation upon generation, I feel like it's hitting her right now. Even as she's even as she's uttering these words, it's all being framed, shown, envisioned for her. All that God is doing through her for the world. And she's getting a sign. Wow. Wow. What you are doing. For behold, from Now for all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. So there we see me used uh, two or three times. We'll call me blessed. He has done great things for me. Okay. So Mary gets it. There's a, there's a direct line through Mary and this unmerited favor that she's received and the blessing that's come upon her. But now her attention turns to God. He who is mighty and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has put down the mighty. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry. He has set away the rich. He has helped his servant Israel. He has spoken to our fathers, and now he has spoken to me. You see how she gets it, how she sees that God has a plan and a path for her. And then she begins to see the fullness of who God is that is working out this plan through her life. And right now we're all saying, wow, this gal Mary, she's amazing and terrific. And that's true. But each of you, having yielded to Christ, fall in the same category as Mary, having received unmerited favor. And you have received a purpose and a plan. In your most humble state, whether you're young and you should be humble, or you're old, and you've been made humble, or something in between, in your humble estate, God has favored you. And he has set you aside for great good deeds of divine proportion that no one else can do and will have significance on in etern into eternity and on into generation after generation after generation. You are important. You are not the mother of Jesus or the father of Jesus. That only happened once and that's Mary and Joseph. But you have been satisfied in the same manner. Your job is to be authentically you in Christ. To be as fully yielded to Christ as possible that you might be, in my case, authentically Dave. And only Dave. And, and humbly Dave. That somehow Christ might live in me, rule in me, and have his way with me and his purposes satisfied through me. And in that way, he receives great glory. Only you will accomplish God's task. And some of that is going to come by setting aside your plans, even as Mary did. Oh, I was just going to live in this backwater town. I was just going to be quiet, a quiet nothing. Maybe have a few kids. I don't know. What are you going to do, Mary? Uh, I don't know exactly, but probably what my mom did and before. M Mary, there's, you're of the line of David. And she would say, well, yeah, so is my dad and my cousin. Everybody in my town's the line of David. Yeah. But it's through you. You'll be blessed. 
So he's trying to help us understand that finding favor for God changes her plans. Finding favor with God for us changes our plans. Our plans now singularly become his plans. And we live our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to him. That's the Christmas gift. And you're thinking of that, well, that doesn't sound fun. What's the, it's the funnest thing that you could do. It's the most exciting and amazing thing that you could do would be to let go of whatever it is that you thought you were going to do and yield now to following hard after Jesus anywhere he wants to go. Wait a minute. You just signed up for life. And not just life. I'm talking about life abundant. When you grab the belt loops of Jesus and start following hard after him, he's going to take you places you've never been before. And it might look like your regular life. It might look like work and raising kids and going to school. It might look like that. But he has now transformed it because every moment you live is now a kingdom moment for his purposes and his plan. Every conversation that you have, every person that you meet is the Christmas story of unmerited favor being poured out on the people that you know and love. You are now the Christmas gift of God. So good news, good fun for you. He has looked upon you and seen you in your humble state and he has chosen you for good, for his kingdom purposes. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. So Father, indeed, what a Christmas present. You gave Mary a child. You titled him the Son of God. And now, you have called us. You have seen our humble estate. And you have showered us with favor, unmerited grace. And so, we receive it. We marvel in it the mystery of it. And now, Father, we hear your assignment that we too, in our humble estate, are called to worship and glorify your Son. And so we receive this Christmas gift in honor and glory of Jesus, the Son of God. Amen.